You're listening to The Big Interview Show. Good morning. You are listening to The Big Interview Show right here on 94.5 The Crossroads. As always, my name is Jeremiah. I'm your host for the next hour right here on the other side of the radio. And uh, if you're just joining us, maybe you're a new listener to uh, The Big Interview Show, the the goal, the theme of, of this show is that everybody has a story worth telling, and all you have to do is take the time to listen to that story. We've had some great guests on and in the past, we've got an exciting schedule uh, that I'll be sharing with you via the Big Interview Show Facebook page. Uh, probably actually later later today, uh, I'll announce the entire July lineup for the show. Got some interesting guests coming on, but also got a great guest with me here today. I am here with Ryan Pointer, uh, a recently appointed residence hall director at the University of the Cumberlands. Going to talk to him a little bit about what that is like, uh, a little bit about what life is like as a student here in uh, Williamsburg during the summer and uh, all sorts of other things, a hodgepodge of topics. But uh, I am really glad to have you on the show, Ryan. I thank you for, for taking the time out of your day to be on the show. Listen, thanks for inviting me. Ah, it's, it's my pleasure. I think this is going to be a good show. And uh, we've got a lot of, of different things to talk about. I, I promised I would talk to you about hammocks because uh, you're the only <laughs> person I know that, that I see more than once in life hanging up a hammock. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, maybe some of your writing, some of your uh, musical efforts, all sorts of things uh, over this next hour. But uh, we like to start at the beginning because that's a good starting point, I guess. Can you just tell us a little bit about uh, where you grew up, where you're from, things sure. like that? Uh, like I said, my name is Ryan. I'm from uh, Somerset, Kentucky. It's about an hour up the road, 30 minutes north, 30 minutes west, something like that. Uh, much bigger town than Williamsburg, Kentucky, that's for sure. Uh, I think Somerset and surrounding counties, about 100,000 people total. Graduated yeah. from Pulaski County High School. Okay. Yeah. So I grew up I grew up in, in Monticello. So, sure, so we're close. So Somerset was always where we went to do things. Right, because yeah. there's actually stores and a, a movie theater and a bowling alley and all sorts of things. Yeah, so spoiled, I, I guess. Pretty pretty familiar with that. I, I don't know. I don't know. I think we're all spoiled if we think about it. Um, and so what were you like growing up? What were you like as a kid? Oh, gosh. Good question. Boring, I would say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. I was the kind of kid growing up that I did a lot of different things. I never really settle on one thing that I enjoyed doing. I like to read. I uh, played a little bit of basketball in middle school and high school. Um, you know, all sorts of different things. So, What was it like growing up uh, for you um, in terms of, of just everyday life? Sure. Uh, well, I mean, I, I can share a little bit about um, it was my family and stuff like that. I grew up sure. mostly as an only child. I have a half-brother. He's about eight years older than I am. He and I share uh, the same mother. And uh, when I was 11 years old, my mom actually, she passed away. And so I didn't really get to see mm-hmm. a lot of my brother. Actually, I haven't seen him in a couple of years, but we're Facebook friends. So that, I still something. get to keep up yeah, with him yeah, a little bit. Yeah. And uh, so I grew up from, like from the time that I was 11, pretty much on, mostly as an only child. Recently, though, when I was 19, uh, my dad actually had a new daughter, my, uh, my half-sister, and she is a doll. Uh, <laughs> she's taught me so much about joy and about compassion and about love that I never thought that I would learn, at least not until I had children. And so that's awesome. Um, Unfortunately, I didn't get to grow up with her, but it's actually been... Because there's a big age gap. Yeah, I was was 19. Yeah, Yeah. wow. 
It, it really is a blessing in disguise, though, because it's given me an opportunity to look at her less as a sibling who's stealing attention from me and yeah. more as almost almost as a daughter. I care about her very much in the same way, Yeah. Uh, unlike any person that I've ever cared about in my life. And I, I love her. I really do a lot. Well, that, that's beautiful. And Thank I think um, it's, it's interesting how that that can just give you a whole new perspective. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And so how old would she be now? She's two and a half. Her birthday is December 16th. Okay, because I was going to ask if you talked to her often. but She talks to me often. She's a, talking is a new thing for her, so she does it all the time. Yeah. Cool. And you're obviously a student here at the University of the Cumberlands, made that transition from Pulaski County here to Whitley County uh, to study uh, creative writing uh, in the English department and also to study journalism. Uh, what uh, what brought you to UC? How did, uh, let's ask first, how did you first hear about the University of the Cumberlands? Oh, man, let's see. It's a really interesting story. When I first heard about UC, it was, yeah. it was during a, my junior year of high school. I, went, I came to a, a chemistry symposium. Uh, hmm. My physics professor in high school, yeah, totally uh, out of left field there. Uh, but he brought me along to. Uh, we were doing some kind of uh, written tests and bridge building and different things yeah. like that. Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I don't Which know they how, still do it, right? Yeah. And so that was the first and only time I had ever heard of UC. I never visited the campus until I arrived in August. Uh, I actually didn't even send in my application until probably the end of June, maybe early July, before I got here. Uh, it's, it's totally a story of, of the Lord and his providence because uh, about the f- early June or so, I got a call from UC and didn't even apply. Uh, basically, they said, hey, Ryan, nice to meet you. We got your ACT scores and we would like to offer you some scholarship money Wow! in June when scholarships are typically exhausted in right, like February. Right. So, Wow. Uh, thought about it for maybe a day and said, absolutely, I would love to come. Yeah. And, uh been here ever since so so was there a backup plan or did that just kind of open a huge door well somerset has a community college that i had initially attended on going to for a couple of years and then transferring out uh that seemed the best option because it would be easier to live at home easier to save money uh, different things like that but fortunately uh like i said uc called and so i didn't have to to do that so there probably wasn't a huge culture shock so much coming from you know an hour or so west of here but um how how were things different being a student in college versus maybe a student in high school? Uh, I think there's more of a culture shock than you think. Somerset tries to be a big city. I it think. does. They, they have all those stoplights and yeah. <laughs> so many lanes. So many lanes. Somerset wants to be Lexington. They're trying very yeah. hard. Um, and, and I've never been to a place, by the way, that, that encourages U, U-turns as much as Somerset, yeah. Kentucky. Well, it's all one big road, right, so right. it's pretty easy to get to and from. Um, but definitely moving from a city, like I said, of about 100,000 people to one of about 5,000, three of which are college students, 3,000 of which, sorry, uh, was definitely a culture shock. Life moves even an hour away a lot slower in mm-hmm. Williamsburg, which is something at first that really started to bother me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but over the, the course of four years, I've really grown to love and grown accustomed to, and now I really, really appreciate it. Cool. And uh, you have, have decided to, to obviously spend your summer here in uh, Williamsburg and have done that more than, more than once, right? More than this summer? Mm-hmm. Um, what did you do in the past before we talk about what you're doing this summer? Sure. Okay. Well, my first two summers here, uh, the summer between my freshman and sophomore year, and then again between my sophomore and junior year, I was working a missions-based camp actually here in Williamsburg. It's not based in Williamsburg. It's based in Nashville, but... They do do a uh, camp here in Williamsburg. It's called Mission Fuge. Okay. Uh, Fuge camps. They also do other other different kinds of camps. And so, 
Go ahead, sorry. So I was just going to ask some questions about Infuge. Sure. Because I, I know that they have had those here in the past, but if I'm being totally honest with our listeners, I know almost nothing. Right. I know that there, there are kids that come to camp, and, and it's called Fuge. And, right. And there are flags all across campus telling you what's going on. Um, but but in a nutshell, what is Infuge, especially what was it here on, on campus, or I guess what is it here on campus? Sure. Uh, well, like I said, it's a missions-based camp. So primarily what students do is they'll come here with their youth groups. Uh, they'll be divided into different Bible study groups. And so we'll have like 10 to 15 different people staffed as track leaders who their goal is to take these students, lead them in Bible study, and then later on that morning take them out into the community and serve. Uh, they just serve the communities in a multitude of ways. They do things like painting, construction, yard work. Mm-hmm. They do things like backyard Bible clubs. They do things like just playing games with students outside their apartment complexes because they literally have no one else to love them. And uh, the goal is to bring these students here and teach them how to do things that they can do in their own towns and teach, teach them how to share the love of Jesus in a way that is applicable to the lives that they live currently. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, That's really cool. Yeah. So so they're coming here and uh, really going out really into the community to, to help people. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's not a camp in the sense that they're playing games and, and just doing Bible studies and staying in a room. Right, and yeah. So I think that's a that's an interesting thing and a, and a really unusual way to do camp, but uh, I'm sure that was probably a really rewarding experience to, to be involved with that. What was your responsibility um, each each year you were involved with Infuge? Sure. Well, I did uh, I did Fuge camps for three years. My okay, first two summers, years. yeah, I was here, and then my last summer they shipped me away to a, to a different university. We don't have to talk about that one. We're not on their radio show. But, but, but. we can. We can. <laughs> Uh, but so the first year I was a track leader, like I said, where basically I was just responsible day in and day out, Monday through Friday, for a group of about 25 students and adults. And we uh, went to a housing authority in Jellicoe, and basically um, they have a basketball court there, and uh, it's like a small playground, and then a creek, which was actually really gross, but the kids like to jump in and splash around. I don't know. but uh, <laughs> It's water. Not, not for me. Yeah, uh, most of it was water, I think. I don't know. Um but so we would literally go there from like 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. every day and just love on those kids. We would just play the, play with them and I do things like play basketball. We would swing. We would bring uh, uh, crafts, tell Bible stories, just, you know, different yeah, things yeah. like that. Just just to kind of uh, be friends with them and, again, show them love because that's something that outside of their very small community they didn't see very often. And um, as, as a track leader, you're working with a different group each week? Yes. Yeah. Um, so, so... Are these people mostly coming from fairly local areas, or are they coming from the other side of the country? Not at all, yeah. Uh, It's primarily uh, the southeastern United States. We had groups from uh, Louisiana. We had one, uh, one of my summers, I know they drove all the way from California. That was... Wow. uh, Maybe they drove. They might have flown. Don't... don't, uh, They traveled. Yeah, they traveled from California to Williamsburg, Kentucky, which is a feat of its own. But, uh, yeah, plenty from Louisiana, from Texas, from Alabama, Mississippi, all kinds of places. Very few, actually, are local. I was surprised to see local churches. So um, this, this is maybe a deep question, and I'm just, just curious about your opinion about it. Uh, so, so uh, you know, with, with churches, a lot of them choose to go far away from, from mm-hmm. their, their, their area, their home base, whatever you want to call it, uh, to serve and especially to, to teach teenagers to serve. Um, I'm just curious, if, what's the value in, in getting kind of away from your home and learning to do those things before you go back home and do it? It's definitely very interesting. It's an odd juxtaposition yeah. to see them travel so far to learn how to serve back at home. It really is. But I think there is something to be said about it. the separation that you create with so many miles between where you live and where you're serving. It gives you an opportunity 
to try it first almost mm -hmm. uh, in a place that you're unfamiliar with, a place where if you mess up or if you do something incorrectly that you don't have to necessarily face those consequences for very long. Not that there would be necessarily any consequences for incorrectly serving someone in the name of Jesus, but, uh, you know. Just, just knowing that you could do it better the more that you do right it, so. yeah and you have that opportunity again when you go home almost a practice i think yeah yeah and i think there's also something kind of going along with that that um traveling especially as, as as young people as youth there's an excitement we're going here to do this where if it was we're going to the neighbor's house right. to do this there, there just wouldn't be as much excitement about it so i think it also kind of makes it more of an event to go and serve and uh then they can realize, oh, I can get this same feeling serving my community as I did when I went on that trip. Absolutely. Um, and so that's a cool thing. Um, and so you said you were um, a track leader uh, for just the first year? Or, yeah, just the first and summer. Then, and then what did that transition to from? Well, after that summer, I applied to be the financial director uh, hmm? for, uh, <laughs> yeah, for the particular location. It is not nearly as glamorous as it sounds, I promise. Because when uh, I think of you, I think accountant. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Which is because I know so that you're, backwards. you're right all the time. So, <laughs> uh, financial director kind of threw me for a loop there. Continue. Continue. Uh, so essentially, what I did, I was in charge of all of the financial aspects of camp. So I did things like run the Fuge store where they sold Fuge merchandise. I was in charge of counting and managing the missions offering. I was in charge of doing attendance for churches that came in each week. I was kind of a liaison between the Nashville office and the people in the accounting department there in my location, and I was responsible for communicating numbers back and forth to them. Uh, more than anything, no one outside of a financial director at camp really knows what they do yeah. either, so if you don't understand, no no harm, no foul. <laughs> so uh, that's a, obviously a much more behind-the-scenes kind of job. Was that a total uh, transition for you? Did you like that better or, or worse than being really hands-on and, and on the scene? It was very hard, um, but I, I think in a lot of ways it fit my personality better. It gave me the option uh, to be intentional with students, and it gave me actually the option to choose fewer students each week to be intentional with so that I really could invest in those, you know, five to ten students a week as opposed to having to not only invest in 25 students but manage the, the mm -hmm. kids that were on site and manage the adults and make sure that everyone's happy and account for things Silly things that are totally logistical, like lunches or, you know, how many seatbelts we have in a car to make sure we can travel hmm. to and from. So, But those are really important things. Those are absolutely the, important. The other people could not do their jobs without somebody doing those Definitely. little things that are mm -hmm. actually big things. And so um, how did you first get involved with Infuge before we transition to talk about some other things? Sure. Okay. Uh, well, it's, again, a funny story because I had never heard of Fuge Camps before about three months before I worked my first summer. Um, a local worship leader, and you probably know him, he was a student here, his name is Brent Foley. Yeah. Uh, he got in touch with Cornerstone Community Church, which is, again is, is a local church you and I share. Yes. We share the church. It's very nice of us. Uh, <laughs> yes, anybody else can come. Yeah. Because uh, we're sharing. So he got in touch with the local church and the worship, the praise band there, and he mm -hmm. said, I need some guys to work this summer camp job with me, is what he said. And uh, so my name was tossed out there. He gave me a call, and that's pretty much what he said. He said, uh, this is a, a summer camp job. We're going to be playing worship music. You'll be playing drums, you know, silly. Uh, made it sound really, really fun and really <laughs> relaxed. Uh, not that it wasn't fun. It was one of the best summers of my life, but it was the opposite of Probably, relaxed yeah, a yeah, lot of yeah. times. Yeah. Relaxed moments, but right. not, not relaxed. The weekends were relaxing. <laughs> yeah. um, so um, 
I went through this long application process, a very, very long application process. I interviewed via Skype. Um, there was an issue because I wasn't old enough to work camp. Uh, actually, much younger. The, the age limit at the time, I think, was 21. I was 18. So uh, I was close. But if, you're, if you round up. Yeah, if you round <laughs> Sure, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so it was this very long, kind of drawn-out process in April before camp starts in May mm -hmm. in order to actually get me into that position, which, again, just a story to the Lord's providence and how he puts you exactly where he wants you at the exact moment and that he wants you there. And so I went in thinking that I was going to play the drums a couple of times a day, kind of hang out with some kids, maybe play basketball. Yeah. Uh, turned out that that was the, the least amount of work that I did that <laughs> summer. I was uh, busy from 7 a.m. to m almost midnight every night. It was a, a very demanding schedule. It was very grueling by all means, but it was also the most rewarding thing that I've ever done, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Cool, cool. I think it's good to have those experiences. Absolutely. That are priceless. Um, you mentioned uh, year three during your, uh, I guess, the summer of your college career. Um, you end up working for Fuge Camp yet again. Uh, real quick, what did you do? I just said we're going to move on, but I lied. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Well, I was, uh, I was the financial director again this time at North Greenville University, which was very much the same, but also very much different because North Greenville compared to UC is a very, very uh, large camp. We had, as opposed to 500 students here mm -hmm. on a big week, we had about 1,200 on our wow. biggest week. Yeah, so over over double. And it was not just Mission Fuge, but also Centrifuge, which is a whole other yeah. side of yeah. camp. Yeah. And so it was a, an interesting adjustment, not only learning a different side of camp, but having to manage both of those financially. Uh, again, great, great summer. Cool, cool. And uh, Infuge Camp still going on this summer as well, right, Ryan? Mm-hmm. And for the foreseeable future, I hope. Very cool, very yeah. cool. I think... Uh, I think that's a neat thing. Uh, your responsibilities right now uh, are not uh, involved with Fuge Camp, though I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that just because I was totally unfamiliar with it. It sounds really interesting and, and a cool way to get teenagers involved in serving. Um, you are recently appointed as a residence hall director here at the University of the Cumberlands, and you are still uh, putting the finishing touches, we'll say, on your undergraduate degree. Mm -hmm. And uh, what's that been like? I know you've been an RA, obviously, for, for a good long while. But uh, what's it like now as a residence hall director where technically you're in charge of an entire dormitory? It's very different. And I think that it'll continue uh, to get progressively different and probably progressively more difficult as I transition <laughs> into the fall when we have, uh, you know, college students in the dorm and it's completely mm -hmm. full max capacity, like 250 guys. But we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there, I think. Uh, the biggest change, I think, has been moving from a dorm room uh, to my apartment. Oh, yes. Yeah. yes. Uh, my apartment is, is not big, but by comparison, it's monstrous, you know, uh, compared to a dorm room. I live in a castle now. So that has been the biggest transition and one that I've had no issues making <laughs> for the most part. It's like, oh, I'll go uh, to this room that's more than twice the size of a dorm. I do keep losing my keys now. I was in my dorm room, I could just place them on one desk because I only had one. I knew exactly where they were. But now I set them on the counter or the living room table or somehow under my pillow whenever I'm sleeping. I don't know. And so I, wow. I always have, yeah, I always have issues finding them whenever I go to leave. But it's a, I'm going to get one of those clicker things, I think. Yeah, maybe. yeah, that's a good idea. What, uh, what dorm are you uh, in charge of at this point? I'm in charge of Robinson Cook Hall. Mm -hmm. And is that where you were living before you? Not at all. Okay. I lived there for one semester my freshman year. Other than that, I've never worked in that building. Um, I've never lived in that building outside of that. And I really didn't go in that often. So that, too, has been a very interesting transition, but one that, that seems to be going well so far. 
So um, what's the process like, or what was the process like for you? Maybe it's a little bit different for everybody. For becoming a residence hall director, how did you end up in that position? Oh, gosh, I wish I could tell you. Uh, Is it a secret? No, no, it is. It's a secret society. You you can't tell uh, me. uh, I can't tell you mostly because I I haven't really set down the process yet, but I became an RA my sophomore year of college. Uh, And it was kind of that time that I decided... Uh, and just looking at people in leadership uh, above me and said, hey, I would really like to do those jobs. And so it started out with a with senior RA position, mm-hmm. and then it moved into a student life assistant position, and then finally into the residence hall director position, and almost just like climbing stairs. Yeah. It was just one to the next, and I said, well, maybe I'll like to do that next, and then maybe, you know, here I am. I think more than anything, it was just that I enjoyed responsibility and being in, in the position that, people can count on me. And so when I saw opportunities to do so, I just took them. And fortunately, uh, I was blessed enough to be able to, to, to get those positions and serve in them. So um, we'll, we'll talk about summer first, but what are your responsibilities in that position during the, the, during the summer? Well, summer is weird for me because I never worked a summer as an RA. Yeah. Uh, so I'm in charge, but this is also my very New first team. summer work. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's a little bit of trial by fire. I just kind of throwing me in and saying, here you go. But it's gone very well so far. Um, the things that I do in terms of job description is different every week, really. Yeah. The past couple of weeks we had infuge students actually living in the building. So primarily we were responsible just for kind of supervising them. Uh, me specifically, I was responsible for supervising my RAs who are then supervising them while they work office shifts and, um, you know, go on rounds throughout the halls just to make sure everything is okay, people are behaving themselves, things like that. This week, we don't have a group, so I'm trying to take care of things like maintenance issues in the building. We're Mm -hmm. trying to get the office, uh, our RA office repainted. Uh, Just trying to take care of all the things that we don't have the opportunity or the time to do whenever groups are in. And uh, I think especially it's it's one of those really thankless jobs. You know, I, I think... Um, I, I've had some people on in the past also that I think have had very thankless jobs. But, you know, I think a lot of people, especially people off campus, especially people who haven't went to college, don't really know what an RA does, except they're in the dorm a lot. Um, and I know that is certainly a big part of it. Um, but come fall, uh, what will your responsibilities be uh, here at the University of the Cumberlands in addition to being a student and carrying a full load of classes? Uh, what's a resident hall director do, really? It'll be similar, but not the same. Again, it'll be mostly supervision. Uh, I talked to a, a, actually a resident hall director, his wife, um, and she put it a good way, I think. She said that we are a resource more than anything. We are available uh, to the RAs, not only as a supervisor and there to coach them and help them as they mature in their job and, and to kind of instruct them in the ways uh, that they should perform and can perform effectively. Mm-hmm. We're also there when they need us for, for critical situations, obviously. Uh, if we have major rule violations or if they have a situation that they don't know how to handle, we're the first person that they call, or we should be. Uh, hopefully we are the first person yeah. they call. Um, so that is primarily uh, my job. And in the fall, it'll transition a little bit because it becomes that plus relational ministry i think mm-hmm. the difference primarily between summer and fall is that the residents that will be living in the building not only are they older but they also live there with the exception of a few throughout the entire year yeah so that's a good opportunity for me and for my staff to invest in them and to really become their friends and not seen just as a police force or as someone who is there to 
tell them to clean up the room right. or, or yeah to enforce yeah, rules yeah, whenever yeah. they're they're breaking them um but to, to be there to to invest in them and to talk to them and if they need anything at all we're there to serve them um and that's something that i that i really want to push not only with my staff but with my residents too now is it hard to juggle? Uh, obviously, you're, you're new at, at the RHD position, but as a student, is it difficult to juggle your RA responsibilities with your full load of classes and obviously a social life and all those other things? Not as hard as I thought it would be initially, no. Um, fortunately, I, I feel like we tend to lose track of how many hours we actually have in the day. And so uh, right. if uh, you get any good at all keeping track of those, it's, it's pretty easy to manage manage that schedule i think i worked even at my most as an ra just a couple of days a week and so mm-hmm. and during those times you, you sit in the office and primarily you're there to handle things when they happen um so after you take care of your initial office duties you're you're sort of there just on watch and so you have the opportunity to do things like read textbooks or, or do homework if you need to do that so cool that's good too cool um we're going to take a, a quick break here on the big interview show uh, glad to have ryan pointer on the air with us today we'll be back in about one minute You're listening to WCCR are listening to the big interview show with me jeremiah right here on 94.5 the crossroads here with ryan pointer today talking about all sorts of things we've talked about fuge camps we've talked about uh being a residence hall director and uh we've we've got the next few minutes to talk about just uh, quite frankly a few random different things that i find interesting about ryan and uh one of those things i think that i, I want to talk about uh as I, I see you outside a lot with a hammock um and uh uh i think it was you at uh, briar creek park this past weekend that uh, orchestrated with a friend a uh, kind of a, almost a bunk bed and that was me kind yeah. of hammock uh, uh what uh how'd you get uh, involved with, with hanging up a hammock because that's something you don't see a whole lot uh, especially it's not a permanent hammock that you're saying this is going in my yard and it's a big stationary thing you're you know much more mobile with the one that you've got how'd, how'd you end up doing that uh, that's something that I picked up from working camp. I feel like there are, there are a few camp staple uh, sort of items that you have to own if you work more than a couple summers, one of which is, is a hammock and another is a pair of Chaco sandals, which I'm actually wearing right now. So they, uh, I don't know, a lot of people outside of the camp world don't really seem to know or own them. Uh, yeah. I hope it's a trend that picks up around campus though because it's really neat. But, uh, yeah, essentially what it is, it's just uh, I wish I could tell you what material it was made out of, but it's it's a small hammock almost like a big sheet with anchor points on the on each end folds up into a very small bag and uh 
carry a couple straps around you. You can just throw it up pretty much anywhere between two trees, two poles. Um, I wouldn't recommend doing it on campus. Got in trouble for that once, but hmm. yeah. Yeah, I've seen a few people on campus with, with yeah. hammocks, but yeah, I don't see them up for very long. Um, and so obviously that, that comes from, from the camp culture. Um, what is it that you like about the hammock? Is it especially comfy? Uh, it is it is comfortable. It's not comfortable in a way that you would expect. It's not incredibly soft. Yeah. I mean, it's not a memory foam hammock or anything <laughs> like that. So it, uh, I, it's really neat to be able to uh, just kind of suspend yourself between, uh, you know, two, two pieces of nature and just, just sit outside and read a book. You know, I like to go hiking and then I take it up to a waterfall or something and you just lay there for half an hour and listen. It's an opportunity that you don't get in your bed at home or... Uh, mm-hmm you know really anywhere else and it's awesome to have it so portable so you can take it almost anywhere and it does give you the opportunity uh i assume to to really relax in nature in a way that maybe sitting on a rock could i mean it could still be relaxing but you know i mean that's what you you could put rocks in your hammock if that's what you like yeah 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 but it would be a i think a different experience to kind of just be able to lay there um between trees and nature that's a cool idea that's a cool idea um something else that i that i know that you you do a lot of is is, is play drums you mentioned that earlier that's how they roped you into the fuge camp mm-hmm. um not sure how else to transition from hammocks to drums how long have you been playing drums about six years now roughly uh let's see six six sounds about Math. right yeah yeah <laughs> it's my financial director there you go yeah. it's coming out um and um, have you played in, in several bands, different groups, things like that? What, what style of music do you play? Primarily, most of the music that I've, that I've played, at least with groups of people, has been praise and worship music. Uh, I started almost right before I graduated high school, and so uh, maybe a year or two before, and so I didn't really have an opportunity as I was learning to play with many people, uh, mostly just because it wasn't very good yet. But uh, when I got here as a freshman, which, again, I told you that story before, I got involved very quickly with Cornerstone Community Church and guy Matt McQueen you know him very well yeah, he was on actually last week oh well fancy that he uh he kind of grabbed me and said hey would you like to play drums with us and the answer as always was yes and uh so that's really where I started playing with people uh on a consistent basis and then yeah. from there I got involved with our uh, with UC's Baptist Campus Ministries um and so I started playing in their praise and worship band um when they did things like life groups, we would have service every week, you know, usually mm-hmm. on Thursdays, and I would play with them. I did that for three and a half years or so, and then for the past, you know, six, seven, eight months, I really haven't played much at all, which is really sad to me, but I just set it up in my living room, and uh, so I kind of get to sit behind it sometimes. Because you have a living room now. I do, yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> Let me go to this room. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Do you, uh, what set do you play on? Uh, I have a Thomas Silver Star. It's a very small set. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's really nice. It's made primarily for like jazz stuff i got it more because it was so portable um i could hit you with some technical jargon but i I won't unless that's something that you really want to hear basically the the drums themselves are much smaller than in a normal kit so they're easy easier to transport and there are fewer of them that's because because transporting drums for for people that don't know you just go to the show you see the drum set set up my goodness you know the guitar yeah, player uh, is carrying in maybe two or three guitars and an amp but there's no real setup even when they get it there and, right and i know with drums it's like you haul drum after drum after drum in and you can't just set it up within a few seconds yeah yeah i like to park really close whenever i have to haul my <laughs> yeah, my yeah. drums around very much at all it's five or six trips to the car plus another 15 minutes to set it up 
and then five minutes of just you know playing around to make sure that you're comfortable yeah. probably takes less time than that but i like to take five minutes because after you carried a man you think you earned it you know yeah so. yeah i think so too it's it's worth it um, definitely as as a drummer who's playing in in, in praise and in worship bands i know uh, that comes with its own uh, unique set of of not really rules but but things <laughs> you need to keep in mind you know while you're playing in, in that setting and playing in that genre uh what's what's a challenge for a drummer who might be playing you know pop rock music or jazz music who might find themselves you know playing in a worship setting how is that different i think the biggest thing about playing praise and worship music is that you have to remember most of all why you're there you know um the biggest difference between between playing any any genre of music and and praise and worship which is not necessarily a genre but kind of spans several different right is that uh the attunement of your heart has to be different Mm -hmm. uh when you play pop music or when you play jazz music you can show off a little bit uh and you Red can and tom fills yeah yeah you can play uh, all of these all of these different yeah. licks or all of these different fills and people say wow that guy is really good but what you want them to say whenever you're playing praise and worship is wow god is really good and if they say anything other than that then you've really done it wrong mm-hmm. and so yeah i think i think I, I play bass in those kind of settings and and it's also the same thing for me it's it's realizing like oh i could play a really fancy run here but what really serves a song and will help people you know sing sing to the lord and and mm-hmm. uh and I'll let them have this really vertical experience and and you know they don't need some fancy bass part to to kind of distract them from that right. so I, I understand that the other thing i was going to ask you about um is just your opinion. It seems like in, in the, the praise and worship kind of settings when you're playing drums, um, more than any other, if you want, again, if you want to call it a genre of music, there's the, there's the shell, the kind of the, the drum shield that goes <laughs> around the drums. Um, are you a fan of those? What's your opinion about uh, the drum shield? Because I, I know drummers that are really pro the drum shield and, and drummers that are saying, no, 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 no. Where do you fall? Uh, on that spectrum uh i think it depends a lot on your stage setup but for the most part i don't i don't like it at all um what it does especially if you're miking drums and again this is a little bit of technical jargon but it actually it doesn't it it doesn't dampen the sound at all it bounces it back at you so it bounces it into your microphones and if you're not wearing in ears or say you have a floor monitor or something like that it bounces it into your ears and then maybe you lose time or you get a little bit confused the biggest thing with the drum shield i think is to keep uh, the reverberation from your drums or your cymbals out of the microphones of, you know, vocalists or guitarists, something like that. Yeah. Uh, and so it would be much better if uh, drummers, especially, I'm talking to myself right now, could play quieter, for one. Yeah. Uh, that's very hard, especially if you get into the music. Or if uh, you transition from something like uh, wooden sticks to, say, uh, rods or, yeah. you know, something like that, that, that were a little bit quieter. Uh, that helps to praise and worship because if the drums are overbearing, it's very, very hard to worship at, at times. I think. Yeah, because you, you, again, you don't want to be distracted, but exactly. you want to you want to be able to obviously play skillfully at the same time. Um, something else that that you do that we don't have a whole lot of time to talk about is uh, you're studying uh, creative writing in the English department, and also uh, studying journalism uh, with people like me here at the University of the Cumberlands. Um, what uh, what's your um, preference in terms of writing um, in other words what do you like to write because obviously you can't study both of those things and, and not like to write right um i think there are very few things that i dislike to write uh, anything that kind of allows me to, to flex creative muscles or to mm. 
add a little bit of my own personality into the writing is, is something that I'm definitely okay with. What I would like to be able to write well is poetry. Uh, I've had a, a few successes, but for the most part, it's a, it's been pretty flat. And so that's something that, I, that I'm working on, something that I really enjoy reading and am passionate about and something that I would like to get better at. Are there some poets that, that you particularly adore? Uh, adore? I, w- I wouldn't say adore. <laughs> strong word, strong word, that you enjoy. Um, recently, I've been reading Charles Bukowski. I really like I really like him, and it's uh, he has a very sad story. Um, one that, uh, he, of course, uh, he died, unfortunately, you know, several years ago. But before that, he was a very uh, lonely old man, uh, a lot because of lifestyle choices that he had made. And so you kind of get to see uh, his reflection both on those lifestyle choices uh, the way they affected him and then kind of the conclusion that he came to at the end of his life through his poetry. And so it's really interesting to catch the insight uh, that he reveals in his poetry, like in, into his psyche, you know, into his, uh, his emotional mm-hmm. state. And uh, it's, it's really interesting and in a lot of ways relatable. Now, you, you had talked to me obviously off the air in the past about uh, the possibility of going on to, to study um to study English maybe on a graduate level, is that still something you would, would like to do? I would love to. Um, let's see if the opportunity is provided for me, if the Lord opens that door. Um, as of yet, I'm not sure. Um, but I would absolutely love to go to graduate school and get a, a master's of fine arts in something like poetry so that I could then come back to a university, similar if not if not this one, yeah. and teach it sometime. Yeah. That would be great. Cool. Um, and uh, obviously... Uh, you have, have contributed a lot of different things uh, in, in terms of your writing, but also a lot of things specifically to our campus newspaper, The Patriot. I'm the, the faculty advisor of The Patriot. Uh, and, and one thing that I, I really like that, that you've done uh, that maybe I semi-forced you into uh, is doing some of these uh, almost um, uh, experiments uh, as, a, as a writer and as a journalist, um, kind of inspired by, by people like A.J. Jacobs. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, that kind of uh, writing as well? Sure. Yeah, I can talk about that. Um, what we like to call it in uh, your classroom is <coughs> immersion journalism. I've heard yes. it called other things, stunt journalism. Um, I'm not exactly sure what else. But yeah, the, the general premise behind it is that you take a, sort of a lifestyle idea that you're not really accustomed to, hopefully that most people aren't accustomed to, so that way it'll be interesting to read once right. you finish, and you apply it to your own life for a given amount of time. Uh, I've done shorter ones for a few days or for a week or a couple of weeks. Uh, AJ Jacobs, though, has done them for, you know, years at a time. Yeah. And uh, so you apply that that different uh, sort of unusual lifestyle change to your own life, uh, and then you just sort of experience it. And then when that period of your life is over, you just write about it. Um, it's surprising how interesting other people can find your life to be whenever you change it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whenever you do something differently that, that, that you're not used to and that they're not used to. Because um, A.J. Jacobs, who's, who's written a lot of books like The Year of Living Biblically, which he follows every um, strange and ordinary rule that appears in the Old Testament, uh, literally from the Bible. So only wearing uh, white, uh, not having any mixed fibers, not cutting his beard, all kinds of interesting things. Uh, you didn't go to any of those kind of extremes. I did not. But no. you, you've done some interesting things uh, where you, you are a self-professed uh, Introvert, where you uh, spent a few days trying to be an extrovert, and you wrote about that. Um, what's another one that, that you completed? Uh, the only 
one that I actually remember doing is I spent a couple of weeks trying online dating. Oh, uh, uh, yes. Yeah, uh, not because I wanted to. It's because it was near Valentine's Day, and we were having a Valentine's Day special in the paper, and I wanted to write something, and I felt, hey, that'll, that'll be weird. Uh, and it definitely it was very weird, so... Um, and and just just and this this can be outside of journalism and outside of poetry, just writing in general. Um, obviously, you, I, I would say that you're a, a talented and skilled writer, and it's important uh, for me to tell you that even here on the radio. Um, but uh, what's what's uh, one thing that you would say that you you've really learned about writing during your time here at at the University of the Cumberlands? I learned definitely a lot of things. I think the biggest thing that I learned at first was that. I was definitely nowhere near as good as I thought I was. Uh, I think maybe in high school you get that, that angsty stage in your life where you're like, all I want to do is write poetry. Yeah. Or all I want to do is is read, you know, Fight Club and then, yeah. you know, think about it in my free time. And so um, that was definitely me. And I came in uh, and took my very first creative writing class. And I'm using these big words that I could barely define. And uh, I'm not doing the simplest simplest of things that, yeah. you know, eventually I, I got to learn. And um, so it was, it was a huge reality check and a, a very humbling experience to learn, hey, uh, you have the capability to be good, but you aren't yet. <laughs> In fact, you're very far from it. And my professor had absolutely no issues with telling me, which uh, mm. at the time was... was. I mean, I'm sure that was crushing. Uh, yeah. I, I had the same yeah. experience, so uh, I, I understand. I'm pretty sensitive, so it was definitely very crushing, but I'm thankful for it now. Very thankful. Yeah. Because I remember being the same thing of, you know, just, just doing really well in high school and thinking, right. like, I'm going to conquer this. And this English professor is going to say, wow, finally, somebody that is your talent exactly. is finally here gracing me with this essay. And so it was like, mm, this is OK. <laughs> I was like, what? Um, so I understand that. But I think it's it's important to know that you need to grow and, and how you can grow. And, and that gives you a chance to do that. Uh, well, uh, we're going to take a, another quick break. When we come back, the 20 questions segment here on the Big Interview Show as we come down the home stretch, the final segment. Uh, glad to be here with Ryan Porner right here on the Big Interview Show. You're listening to WCCR 94.5. Big interview show right here on 94.5 The Crossroads. I'm here with Residence Hall Director and UC student Ryan Pointer, and uh, we have reached the 20 questions segment, the, the speed round here on the show, where we ask each interviewee that comes on the show the same 20 questions. And uh, Ryan, I always begin by asking if, if you're ready for this part of the show. I hope so. Okay, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. We'll get to learn a lot about you. Um, this this first one is is I think one of the most humbling ones. Uh, what is the latest book or movie that made you cry? 
Oh gosh, I am not much of a crier. I'll admit, <laughs> I uh, I don't cry often, but when I do, it's it's a waterfall. But uh, the most recent, oh gosh, my my favorite movie of all time is one that probably came closest to making me cry. I won't say whether or not I actually cried because we'll, that, we'll that have would to be... use our imagination. <laughs> Um, but uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Uh, yeah. uh, it's one of my it's favorite, beautiful. if not my favorite yeah. movie of all yeah. time. And it's it's one of those movies that hits you from both ends. It's very sad, but also very reflective and happy as well. Mm-hmm. And so I, I kind of watched it, especially for the first time, and didn't really know what to do with myself. Yeah. And so the only logical conclusion, I guess, was was to tear up one or two tears, maybe. Mm, maybe. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out on our own. We'll, we'll think about it. Uh, what is, uh, excuse me, um, what fictional character would you say is most like you? This is hard. Uh, I'm reading The the Great Gatsby again now, and I think uh, if I had to compare myself to someone in that book, it would definitely be Nick Carraway. He's a guy who is kind of, uh, he serves as a narrator in the book, and so Mm -hmm. he he spends a lot of time observing the other characters, and he just happens to be in a good situation to where he can do that. Yeah. And uh, he sort of reflects on their action and is kind of torn between... uh, two areas and two different lifestyles and he's very reflective of himself and where he fits mm-hmm. into society and I think that that kind of applies to me a little bit that's that's fresh in my mind because like I said I'm rereading it so probably not the most applicable but it is a good book it know? is it's I great it's I haven't seen the, the movie yet I haven't either it's one of those things that that uh, I think almost everybody was assigned to read mm-hmm. that book in high school and in high school it's one of those things it's like okay I can appreciate this this isn't bad but if you go back and read it folks it's it's a really right. good story and it, you can read it really fast, too. It's, it's very nice. short. Yeah. 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 It seemed much more daunting in high school cause it, mm-hmm. just because it was a book. Um, the greatest album ever, in your opinion, is? I have two. Uh, I really like I and Loving You by the Ava Brothers, and I really like For Emma Forever Ago by Bonnie Vare. Uh, and those are two. Uh, of the few albums that I've found that I can play from cover to cover at almost any time and just really enjoy. So I guess I would have to say those two together from cover to cover to cover to cover. Cool. Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Wars. Why? Um, why not? No. Uh, <laughs> That's my least favorite answer it's, uh, to I any question. Mostly it's, it stems to, to my uh, interest as a, a video game player. Um, the Star Wars games generally is better. And, yeah, uh, it's it's more interesting and it's more applicable to a more I think e- exciting kind of uh, game. Star Trek is is a little bit more reflective. Of course, the, the new movies are much more exciting. Yeah, uh, but the original television shows were more thought provoking, and they came out at a time when I was like three years old, or yeah, you know, not even born yet. Yeah. So it was it was it was hard for me to get uh, to get into those things. Uh, what's one way that that we can make a, a positive a positive difference in the world? If there's anything that I learned from working camp, uh, it's the the power of community and, and particularly Christian community and just the way that uh, you feel uplifted uh, spiritually and emotionally and mentally uh, when people just come to you and say, "Hey, I appreciate you," or "Hey, I, I really uh, care about you and I like what you do. Thank you for doing it." And uh, I saw that reflected in myself when people did it for me, and I got the opportunity to see that reflected in others when I did it for them. And I, so I think the biggest way just to change people around you probably would just be to love them and let you know, let them know that you care. Hmm. It's also the easiest. Yeah. It's very easy to say, hey, I care about you. Yeah, yeah. What is something most people don't know about you, Ryan? 
Uh, I think there are a lot of things people don't know about me. I'm pretty reclusive, not uh, not like a spider. Uh, those are scary. I don't like spiders. That's something that a lot of people maybe don't know about me. I'm terrified, deathly afraid of spiders. I don't, I don't care what kind it is. I don't yeah. want to know what kind it is. I just don't like them. Hmm. Don't blame you. Uh, what do you think about Jesus' claims to be the way, the truth, and the life? I think that's a, that's a big claim. Uh, Certainly. And I, and Certainly. I think that uh, it's interesting the way the Bible is laid out, um, if you read uh, at the beginning of the New Testament, toward, because he says that in John 14, I yeah. think. Yeah, 14, 6. Uh, and so you see in Matthew, uh, you know, the first gospel that comes um, in the New Testament, and you see him doing all of these things. Uh, he preaches a sermon on the mount, and he does things like uh, heal sick people, uh, you know, he heals people paralytics and and people with leprosy and blind people and so yeah. he, he does all of these things all of these miracles so then when he does uh when you do get to that part in the bible you can say okay this makes sense because yeah. no one else can do that uh, and i think if anyone in, in history is ever going to say that he's the person you know so mm, yeah yeah um this this next question always timed uh, after question number seven on purpose how do you relieve stress in other words how do you deal with it uh I, you know, doing the opposite, I think, of whatever it was that stressed me out. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, not not the exact opposite, so that if I'm working, I just run off and quit my job or something. But, um, you know, if I get stressed out at work I, or with people, which happens to me a lot because, like I said, I'm an introvert. Actually, like you said, I'm an introvert. Uh, and I just like to separate myself. Mm-hmm. I kind of kind of draw back, maybe go hang out in my hammock with a book for a while or um, go read somewhere else or even just watch TV or, you know, spend an hour on a computer it could it could be anything uh, i just kind of try to remove myself from whatever it was that stressed me out yeah solitude is is a beautiful thing i, I highly recommend that as well uh, to to date knowing that there will be others that come to date as of now what accomplishment are you most proud of recently i'm most proud uh, probably of getting the job that i have now i'm very mm-hmm. thankful for the job and it provides me for the first time in my life, a little bit of stability. I have a place to live now and uh, a parking space, which I have never had. <laughs> That's and probably true. I didn't think will that. Never have again. It's your parking yeah. space. It doesn't say my name on it, but it says residence hall director, which to the majority of the people who are going to be in my building will probably be my name. You yeah. know, so um, that's neat, and I'm I'm really really fortunate and very thankful to have that. Not the parking space, but the, the job as a whole. <laughs> yes, which includes right. includes that parking space. Uh, when all is said and done, what do you want to be remembered for? Uh, you know, I thought about this one for a while, and I decided I don't I don't know that I want to be remembered at all. Hmm. Um, I think there's a certain prideful aspect uh, to, to being a human, and right. by extension right. to being male, it says I want to be remembered to be the best at something. I want to be very, very good at one thing and leave a legacy, but the reality is that that's not what the Lord calls us to do. Um, so if, and if, and when I die, not if obviously, because I will eventually sooner or later, uh, I don't know that I want to be remembered so much as, uh, I want, uh, the Lord to be remembered through me. Not that he needs, uh, any help being remembered, but if mm-hmm. I can dedicate my life to something like that, I think that's much more glorifying, not only to him, but much more rewarding and fulfilling than doing so for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Much, much, uh, a, a different legacy, but, but one that's much more, uh, Everlasting. Of those who've, who've come before you, who are the most inspirational to you? Mm, this one is very hard as well. 
gosh, I don't know. I think in a, in a lot of different ways, and this is something that I'm really starting to learn now that my relationship with my father has, uh, since we've gotten closer, that uh, he's, he's done a lot of things to inspire me, not necessarily by being this standout, uh, fantastic, all-around good guy, by being human uh, and by making mistakes and by doing things incorrectly and then, then coming to me and saying, uh, here's the example that I've set for you, here's how not to do things. Uh, now do better and I think that in and of itself is pretty inspiring yeah yeah uh, anybody else come to mind um hmm, shoot nope <laughs> hey hey just just wanted to make sure um you, this one uh, obviously might be helpful since you are a self-proclaimed introvert do you have any hidden talents talents people may not know that you have because I've talked to several extroverts that are like nope I showed them off I'm very public with them, and, and maybe that's different for you as an introvert. Any hidden talents, Ryan? Uh, I don't know. There are a couple things. I think a lot of people, uh, like I mentioned with the financial director thing, you didn't expect that at all. I don't think that's a talent necessarily, but like maybe I'm a little bit left brain, right brain in that sense. Mm. Uh, I can, uh, on my good days, I can do a, a pretty decent Count Chocula voice. Okay, you just no, set, you just I'm, say you just set yourself up for that. I know, I knew it. That's why I didn't want to say it. Yeah, See? yeah. Because I don't. Gosh, I really don't want to. I'm I'm not gonna make you. <laughs> do we do it off the air later? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have about ten See, seconds of radio silence just in case you change your here's, mind. Here's the deal: if on. I do it now, then it's not a talent. People don't know about me anymore. Then everyone knows. So oh, well, it's, it's still a talent. It's just not hidden. right. Yeah, but then I can't answer this question the same way if I ever get asked again. So it's not really mm, fair. We'll come up with a backup. Mm, nope. <laughs> okay. Well, if you see Ryan in person, ask him. Maybe, maybe he'll do it off the air. I understand. I understand. There's a lot of pressure, you know, to say, especially to say, here's my talent, and then to immediately reveal it is a, I don't a, think a, it's the a, toughest I don't think it's thing. a talent at all. I mean, it's not even that good, but uh, I like to call people sometimes and pretend to be, you know, Count Chocula <laughs> calling call for, like, Boo Berry or Frankenberry or something weird like that, but... Um, yeah, no, I'm not going to do it. Sorry. I, that's okay. That's okay. I would just like to say before we move on, by the way, that it's fascinating. That's it's a Count Chocula impression instead of like a, a Dracula impression or yeah. some other vampire. That, that is the serial icon. Is who Dracula is hard to of. say because it has an R in it. Uh, I don't I don't roll my R's very well, so Count Chocula kind of avoids the R. Uh, yeah. Also, it's funnier, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It would be like you know getting a call from Boo Berry or right, something. Yeah. It's it's just interesting. Um, what creative matter? Masterpiece? Do you wish bore your signature, Ryan? A lot of them. Uh, my favorite book is a 111-page children's book called *The Little Prince*. Um, I've never read it. You will have to read it. I have several copies, and I'll let you borrow one. Um, but the, but the thing about it to me is that it's written uh, almost for children uh, in the way that it's phrased, but the the lessons that it teaches and uh, the insights that it gives you are very yeah. applicable not to a child's life, but to an adult life. And I read it for the first time when I was 17 years old and instantly fell in love with it and read it two times back to back, uh, I think in the same day. And uh, so it's actually by a French author whose name I cannot pronounce. So please don't ask me to do that either. Um, but uh, that's something that I really wish I had written. Also, the screenplay for Eternal Sunshine would be great. Yeah. That's very creative. Yeah. Next question, we're at number 14, if you're, if you're keeping track with us. Uh, what is the best thing that you've ever bought, stole, or borrowed? Oh, man. I, uh, that's a hard question, too. The best thing that I've ever bought, stolen, or borrowed. 
Uh, I haven't stolen many things, thankfully. Uh, my record is not completely clean. I think maybe I accidentally walked out of uh, like a Kroger with my mom once when I was like six with a magazine or something. Uh, so I guess that counts. That doesn't doesn't count for the question, but I guess that counts as stealing. Yeah. Uh, the best thing that I've ever borrowed initially, and this was my answer to the last question as well, but for the first uh, the first time that I read my favorite book, The Little Prince, someone yeah. actually let me borrow it first, mm-hmm. and I guess... Uh, that, that's an easy answer to give, but I, I think that probably would be it. Hey, that's great. That's great. Uh, other than water, because water is the obvious choice, what food or drink is most essential to your life? Um, I don't know. Since I moved into my apartment, I've cooked uh, chicken Alfredo like six times. I've been in there for like two weeks. <laughs> it's uh, it's the easiest thing, and it's also very cheap. And so yeah. I don't know that that's necessarily essential to life, but it seems like for the past couple of weeks it has been. I also have a tendency to choose a favorite soda for like a month and just drink the heck out of it (laughs) until I get sick of it and then I switch. So if you ask me this question in August instead of July, uh, if I were to answer it with a soda, it would be something different. Right now I'm drinking root beer, if you're curious. Do you have a certain brand? Uh, I like A&W, but a close second would actually probably be the Walmart brand. Surprise. (laughs) It's got a lot of vanilla, which is what I like. Sounds good. You can have one. Uh, maybe I will. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll go get some uh, root beer after the show. Um, time travel. You get to time travel, and you get to choose where and when and why. The future, easily. Uh, that's something that I spend a lot of time wondering about, worrying about almost. Um, significant events in the future. Uh, where ultimately will I uh, end up working for a career? Who am I going to marry? What are my children mm-hmm. going to be like? What is, you know, Ryan at 50 uh, going to be like? And so those are all things that I would like to see. I wouldn't want to go there permanently because I don't want to skip the next 30 years. Right. But I would like to go kind of take a peek and then maybe come back. At, at yourself and see. Right, yeah. I think I think that is, is uh, fascinating because we would like to know. And, and I guess that way you could. But if you've seen Back to the Future 2, you can't run into yourself or you'll both I would pass out. Or watch from afar. Yeah. Yes, yes. With a telescope or something. Yeah, I yeah, know. I don't know. I'm sure uh, the technology is and, invented. Yes, and, and uh, that movie also taught us that fax machines will be everywhere um, in the future. Um, maybe not. Uh, if you got the chance, this is the political question. If you got the chance uh, and to sit down maybe one-on-one or something, what would you want to say to the leader of your country? You know, I thought about this one, too, for a while, and I think what I decided on uh, was thank you. Uh, thank you not not because you've done a great job. I don't uh, consider myself politically involved enough to know whether or not uh, the state of our country, and in particular the political leaders, are doing a great job. Uh, but thank you for putting yourself in that position because yeah. that, is a, that is a hard, hard position to be in, something that I couldn't imagine uh, doing just to subject yourself to that much criticism and to that much responsibility. And even if you do terrible at it, thank you for trying, right. I guess, you know, like that's a, it takes a special kind of person to even uh, put yourself there. So hmm. what's the best thing about living where you live uh, here in Williamsburg? The best thing about living here is that um, I may have mentioned before life moves slower. There are a lot of trees uh, that I can put my hammock on. It seems yeah. like a lot of times the culture has, uh, has an advanced or maybe it has, and it's just behind but hasn't advanced, you know, in the last 10 years. You know, sometimes, especially when you go downtown, there is a very quaint feeling about it where you feel almost like you're in an Andy Griffith show, yeah. or at least what I remember of Andy Griffith from Nick at Night when I was nine, you know. Mm. Um, 
life definitely moves slower. And if you go to a bigger city, even something like Lexington, I think that you don't get that. There's traffic and it takes you 30 minutes to get to work. Whereas a 30 minute drive here is to London, which is, yeah, you, you know, you're, two you're towns gonna, over. You're going to so. be in a different town. Right. Yeah. And so I, I, at first that's something that, that I really had to get used to, but now I've grown to really, really appreciate and take it slow. Hmm. Um, question 19, what are you working on now? In other words, uh, what dreams or goals are you currently chasing? Um, I would like, like I mentioned before, uh, to get a master's of fine arts and poetry. That is not necessarily something that I'm actively chasing, but I'm trying to kind of get myself prepared by yeah, finishing yeah. my undergraduate degree um, and different things like that in order to set myself up, hopefully, to do that in the future. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, I mean, I'm just trying to, uh, to to grow and improve myself uh, as much as I can every day. It's something I'm very critical of myself, and that sounds like it could be a good thing. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Um, but as a result, I'm very, very aware of all the things that I do, both correctly and incorrectly, and mm-hmm. try to maintain the things that you do do right and fix the things that you do wrong. And it's very hard uh, and sometimes very, very hard uh, something that I'm really especially as of late trying trying to do and I wish you nothing but the best as you go through through that process Uh, last question what is the best piece of advice that you've actually followed Uh, again this is recently I I feel like I have trouble recalling things from like (laughs) five years ago so I don't don't know how that's going to pan out for me when I get older but we'll see Um, this is a piece of advice that you gave me and it really has applied so much to the things that that I've written uh, it's just you said to me one time, uh, maybe even been in a tweet or something. Done is good, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's applicable to writing. Uh, in that, if you have a project and it's it's due or you're about to miss a deadline, uh, finishing it is a good thing because at that point you can always go back and you can copy edit or you can rewrite or you can restart altogether with a new foundation, um, and that's incredibly important. But I think it's applicable also to more than just writing. Um, if you're working on anything, if you're working on an exercise plan, if you're working on a diet, if you're working on building something, finishing it is good because you get more benefits from starting and finishing than you do from not starting at all, even if you do it incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's something that I've applied to writing, but something that I, I take and also try to apply to other areas of my life. Cool, cool. And it's it's my pleasure to, to pass on that advice. Done is good. This helps me. Um, as much as any other piece of advice in life. So uh, we didn't coordinate that or I didn't know about that in advance, but uh, thanks thanks for sharing that. That's very yeah, cool. No glad, glad to help. Thank you for sharing. Hey, hey, uh, it's just uh, something I, I, I learned from, from other people. Can't take any credit for done as good. Um, that's uh, about all the time we have today on this edition of the Big Interview Show. Thanks again, Ryan, for, for being on the air. I appreciate it a whole lot. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's It's been fun. I hope you enjoyed it. We will uh, be back uh, next week on the Big Interview Show at 10. Uh, thanks, as always, for listening. I want to remind our listeners, we've got lots of great music coming up throughout today right here on 94.5. I also want to remind you and invite you to like the Big Interview Show on Facebook and to also check out the official podcast of the show on iTunes. Stay right here on 94.5 WCCR. You're listening to the Big Interview Show.